This is Journeys in Podcasting, and this afternoon we have the opportunity to talk to Arnab Chakravarti. And so, Arnab, how are you? Where are you? And what do you do? Well, right now I am in my house in Brooklyn, in middle of a pandemic. And what I do is I go to this weird technology and art school called ITP, which stands for Interactive Telecommunications Program. Don't ask me what it means because I have no idea. Uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a weird program where a lot of people with backgrounds from all kinds of streams and discipline disciplines come together under a roof to study technology, and uh, that's what we do for two years. And that's what I've been doing for two years. And now I get to stay back as a research resident, which basically means that I don't have to worry about the real world for another year, and I can still be in school. Uh, and that's what I'm doing, staying back, furthering my research and trying out new things with technology and disciplines that might not have any connections with technology. So, uh, so you scored the ever so desired third year of ITP where you get to be a resident <laughs> and work on your research. This is, this is, yeah. this is very key. Uh, very luckily those that get to do this. Um, ITP, for those that don't know, this is a really unique space. I, I have gone to it the last uh, three summers, and then it was online this year. So the online version was a little, a very different experience, but normally this is one of the ultimate hackerspaces, makerspaces um, that you can visit, and uh, the projects that come out of it. And so what I've been most impressed by is this idea that uh, you know when you create something and you put a lot of emotion into it, that, that transfers in whatever you create, just like a good piece of art. And so when ITP uh, students talk about their projects, it's really impressive how deep they have gone into their research, but also how, how much emotion is involved in the project. And, you know, they're also exhausted by the end of it because they've had to cram this project into like a very short period of time. So your project is very interesting because it hits right in the middle of a pandemic where everybody's sense of time has been a bit disrupted. And so that's what we're going to delve in today is this idea of um, space and time and maybe identity as well. Uh, so we'll go into your project a little bit more, but maybe we can just give a very brief introduction. It is, as far as I understand it, it's a kind of circadian lamp. So what was the project that you worked on? So uh, I started out trying to explore multiple dimensions of time because for me, time is a qualitative concept that has been broken down into measurement and numbers just because machines need precision. Humans throughout our lives have not needed that kind of precision, but we needed a sense of time. And that's where I initially started from. So I made this lamp, which was inspired by the sun, and it changes its colors, temperature and brightness through the day to match my circadian rhythm of my rituals rather than the sun. And due to the pandemic being stuck inside, I lived with it. And and basically, my thesis was a combination of self-ethnography, fabrication, building, making, and then reflecting on what I would made over the past, over the duration of the thesis, which was almost a year. So that's my thesis. I'll have you know that just prior to listening to your thesis presentation, I had been marking my work production cycle intervals with the NASA stop frame video. It's a decade of the sun. Very appropriate because in your intro, you talk about how the sun marks how time passes. And I thought of our current moment where so many people aren't sleeping. They're dreaming more and how time is being marked completely differently. I thought about David Blaine who, when enclosed in a block of ice, had to end the experience short. Not from the voices he began hearing or the faces that he was hallucinating and when the ice began talk talking back to him, but from his loss of perception of time, when he realized that a minute had passed, but he had sensed hours passing, he had to get out of there. It suggests that marking time is directly connected to our sense of self you seem to have defined your problem around this natural circadian rhythm of 11 to 6, even though you're living in a 9 to 5 world. 
and the timing of your project couldn't be better. I wonder, has being more mindful of your circadian rhythm been an advantage during your New York City COVID quarantine? Definitely, because just to give you a background of profit, like I grew up in India next to a desert, so the sun was always a constant in my life. Uh, and also, I am old enough that India to be a part of an India where technology was still not ingrained in our day-to-day societies. So we had clocks, but did the clocks were they were they running on time? Who knows? And so I come from that kind of a culture where I've grown up in a small town and then have moved cities and then moved four countries to end up in New York where there is no correlation between what's happening outside versus what is on the clock. Even though it's probably the most precise, time-wise, the most accurate city I've been to. So uh, so I've been, for the first one in one year of my life here, my brain was a bit scrambled because I just couldn't deal with it. Whereas people around me just felt like, I just felt that they had, they just had a much better handle of time versus the COVID where I felt that I was completely in control of my sense of time, where whereas everyone else's around me was falling apart. So that's been interesting. And that's uh, that's been quite indicative about how my thesis kind of suggests something about how we live our lives and how we mark a sense of time. Yeah. Well, and New York has like that double sense of time and that you can kind of wake up at any time and go out and do things. So I remember like going running at midnight and running through Central Park at like 1 a.m. and not feeling like this was a weird thing to be doing at all. Um, But at the same time, if you get up during rush hour, you see people that are completely ruled by the clock. Um, Maybe it's those that have jobs and those that are just there not having jobs. Um, You seem to have worked at time awareness from your senses and surroundings the city lights, clocks everywhere. And in the, I don't think you came up with this, but someone quoted an Alphaville quote, what is the key that turns night into day? Um, You notice that the movement of your roommates in your apartment, the light tree shadow relationship, hunger pangs throughout the day. As you honed into everything around you, did you contemplate the natural from human design, meaning natural light and human light? Did you find that, that this disruptive in the design? Or I guess what, should I, what I'm trying to ask is, did you find um, the human design part disruptive, like the human lights in your environment compared to the natural lights? I, I, I mean, the moment I start, started living without clocks, I just realized that my body was honing into all these different kinds of signals. It was trying to make sense of what was there in my surroundings. And one of the interesting things that I noticed about my time without clocks was that human, like our our bodies and our brains are are tuned to notice changes, whether it's time, whether it's gravity. We don't feel gravity. We don't feel 9.8 meters per second squared gravity. We feel acceleration. When it changes, that's when we know. Uh, It's similar with time that you don't notice it until there's a sense of change and a lot of human design things in our surroundings whether it be digital i mean mostly digital stuff we've kind of lost that ability to notice change because things don't change in a in a way that we can figure out a pattern from and for me that's been like i've been class i've been trained as a designer where i've made like interactive systems uh, or like even products and when we move from analog to digital, I think that's what we've lost. We've lost a sense of change in our surroundings that creates this kind of issue that we we just don't know where we are or when we are. Mm. But you think it's the consistency that, you know, you, you hear this quote again and again, that we can get used to anything as long as it's consistent. Yeah. You know, that that's kind of how we feel about COVID. It's like, you know, we've lost all sense of time here. Yeah. You know, living in this apartment for five and a half months yeah. and you, I can barely remember the time before the five and a half months because of what I think what you're saying, there's that yeah. disruption period 
and then you just yeah. kind of start marking time completely different. Yeah. Mm, I have another question because I think it relates to this idea of going analog to digital and even of clocks itself, because at ITP, I, I do know that there is um, a couple of years ago, I was introduced to the clock project where mm -hmm. Tom Igo and others find some creative ways to mark time. It almost seems in rebellion against the industrial revolution where our concept of time became packaged into linear units of productivity. I thought about my own visits to parts of Colombia where there was no electricity, where people woke at sunrise and they went to sleep at sunset. And when electricity did enter, it wasn't the TV that was the big change. It was the light bulb. Yeah. They had a reason to disconnect their circadian rhythms from the sun itself. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what was your inspiration to work with clocks and are you trying to regain something that was lost in industrialization? Um, okay, this is a long answer, but uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, for me, my thesis kind of represents a lot of kind of lot of streams in my life, which is then kind of there was a happy accident where it kind of converged in this way. But uh, so I've been born like with a completely different uh, circadian cycle. Like my best hours are 11 to five. Like I'm literally known as the ghost on the floor at ITV because that's when I work the best. And having to like live my life from a nine to five has always been hard for me. Like uh, I've never fit in. And most of the times I've just like gone through office day and then just finished work between 10 to one. And that's that's been a, I, that's been a rec recurring theme of my life and also worked across like six time zones between like, like I've, I've worked in, like I, I, I started working in India at a time when uh, the IT revolution was happening. So most companies were sending in their IT and software tasks to India to get it done for cheap. And basically most Indians were working on someone else's time. Uh, and especially like, when when there is like i also say that time zones is a manifestation of privilege and power because when it comes to two time zones the person with the more power gets their way with the time zone so uh, that's that was one of the other recurring themes of my life that's called constantly been with me but coming back to like light and time uh, i i had a class last year with light when uh, and this class was like I've always had a problem with light art because for me light makes like I'm always been interested with light as an illumination because I think that's what humans respond to more. And I've always been interested in like what what changes when light changes over you know the day or over weeks or over seasons and especially being in a country like New York where it's called, it's literally a city of lights, but the lights never change. It's like static, it's there. Uh, whereas in my head, light, light was never meant to be static. It's, a, it's, it's how a light bulb works that makes it kind of static. It's not inherently a property of light. Light is meant to flow, it's meant to ebb, it's meant to change granularity. I mean, so, so light for me is this beautiful magical dancing thing that is like constrained in this one box. And yeah, just through the thesis, like I was able to kind of combine both of them, but it didn't really end. Like this has probably been a journey through ITP, through building multiple things and failing at them to reach this thesis where it was also a happy accident that staying with, because of COVID I was stuck inside, I actually had to start living with what I'd made. So. So that it's it's kind of a representation of a long, long journey. <laughs> I like this. You you have to bring the lab into your house. You have to live with what you make. That's yeah. very good. Well, yeah, and you you said this uh, that uh, in this power structure uh, in your thesis that you wrote, you said the history yeah. of colonization is rife with stories of smashed church bells and desecrated sabbaths. In her yeah. book, The Global Transformation of Time, Vanessa Ogle recounts the stories of the revolt of by mill workers in Bombay against the imposition of Indian standard time, the stubborn yeah. refusal of the Ottoman Beirut to give up old ways of timekeeping in favor of the new and their endeavor to create 
the Rumi calendar, a modified version of the Julian calendar to work alongside their lunar base Hijri calendar. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. And so in India, are there still, and this is a really ignorant question, so you have to excuse me, but uh, are there are there places, I mean, I know if I go to rural parts of Colombia, I could definitely find people who are living on a completely different sense of time. Yeah. Do you find that same thing as you move around in India as well? Definitely, definitely. And uh, like some of my form, formative experiences as an ethnographer in my past life before ITP, uh, where I was working as a design researcher, I would like go across small towns and villages of India and they all had a different sense of time, a different sense of notions where it was most mostly based on the sun and then mostly based on things like the harvest, the festivals, like India has so many festivals because they serve as markers in time because uh, you know that if Holi or is next month, you kind of have an idea that, oh, harvest is coming. Which So there's a temporal rhythm to life outside cities based on their needs and based on what's important for them, which is usually the crops and monsoon. Yeah, I mean, I work in schools. And so this idea of you know being on the clock is, is ever present. We're always segmenting time into these productive units. And that has some very high consequences in how we deal with something called learning, which mm. can be a very organic thing that's socially constructed among a group of people. Right. But often this kind of uh, industrialization of time can really get in the way. And so it really depends on the school culture and the, the individual themselves of how, how they work through that. I mean, we're all still working in these brackets of time. But, you know, do you work on production cycles that are a week long or are you demanding that students have to have these much tighter, you know, product cycles? So this is a this is a big question for me, like project based learning or more kind of dictated learning. Um, let me ask you another question. So COVID-19 has made us all insane or at least compared to ourselves of six months ago, if we were looking yeah. at ourselves of now, we would be like that person is completely crazy. We're yeah. marking time completely differently. Now, for example, in this moment, in pure COVID absurdity, I'm in Bogota, Colombia, teaching at a school in Khartoum, Sudan. Last night, I taught three and four-year-olds at 1 a.m. The day before, I woke up at sunset, ate some granola, and went running into the sunset. The whole world seems to be synced into your project of moving time around and rediscovering how we manage ourselves. What has this been like, watching the whole world uh, be a part of your thesis. <laughs> uh, it's 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 been humbling. It's it's been humbling because like when I don't have to explain my thesis to people and they get it, it feels like I've kind of inadvertently stumbled upon something that was just always there, but it's now out in the open because of these circumstances that we live in, and it's. Like, I always feel like there's, like, 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 humans are just not optimized for, like, anything apart from clear and present danger, because that's how we were hunter-gatherers. So anything which has slowly, subtly come into our lives has just blended in. And, like, when there is a disruption, we get a chance to kind of question all those constructs, which you're probably doing with, like, with everything now. So... It's been humbling, but it's also been like, I also don't know how to help. So like people ask me like, oh, so what do you recommend? And I'm like, I don't really have an answer to that. I just have a personal, like a personal interpretation of time. But uh, yeah, I wish I had like more global answers to like these questions that are haunting us. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't have any answers. I mean, I... I... The only thing I can say is work out as much as possible and eat as healthy as possible so that when you are finding yourself waking up in the middle of the night, you you kind of have to always check in with yourself and be like, what does my body need right now? What does my mind need right now? Um, But also how to kind of lock into when it's time to work, you have to just fall into it, fall into place. Um, One thing I've been thinking about recently is the introduction of slow kinetic movement in our day-to-day lives. And like inside our homes, I think most of our homes are really static, like things don't change, especially in like a rhythmic pattern. And I've been thinking a lot about 
what are those things like because if i think about my grandfather's house it had like a grandfather clock it had a cuckoo clock it had like uh things that would like periodically change or like uh, in india we have like these small fountains which or like candle for example even a candle is intentional change so so i've been thinking a lot about what are those slow kinetic movements that we can reintroduce in our lives to have a, i feel like there is something really interesting there to like live with slow changing things it could be things like even a fireplace i don't know i mean a fireplace is coming but i've been just thinking about a lot of these aspects of our domestic imprisoned lives yeah i i find it fascinating that you're doing that in a space of a laboratory space that celebrates the led light as such because yeah. the led lights you just kind of associate with very annoying blinking they're always yeah. super bright they're too bright for the eyes and yet i've seen some amazing things i was thinking of like i don't know if you know chibitronics the jiki project where uh, they make these little um, micro lights that you put behind papers and it's always using paper as a diffuser and yeah. so I, I found this a very nice way to introduce this kind of LED light experience to students where it doesn't always have to be this jerky, abrupt thing, but you're taking it to a whole new level because you're talking about using coding, which is so good, as you said before, of creating these just re repetitive processes that can do things that humans just couldn't keep up with but no, and do them super fast. But you're talking about slowing everything down and, and yeah. you know, using LED lights. I'm not sure what bulbs you're using. I don't think you're using LEDs, but... Um, tell me a little bit about that process like like what what drew you to the coding world and to the blinking world but then you do something completely opposite of what it's so famous for <laughs> uh, i mean i have a completely whole rant on led and led art which is, can be a completely different conversation uh, but uh, i mean to begin my journey i mean i again i came into itp because i was interested in like exploring some kind of notions i had like i was just to give you a background i was classically trained as a designer i worked for more than 7 or 8 years making all kinds of interactive systems in healthcare in like lighting in all kinds of domains uh so my interest in coding was because i was like i could manipulate things to kind of see what i can do with it which initially drew me to coding and then i came to itp and uh i saw a lot of led art and uh, leds were cool because you know getting them to like getting them up and running is like it takes you like 30 minutes on an arduino and an led strip and you can just have flashy blinky stuff which is great because the spectacle of the, like that's the spectacle uh, a gallery space demands and and yeah i mean i indulged in it for like a few weeks and then my designer brain kind of was just like yeah okay but then what about subtlety what about character and one of the interesting things that happened to me was like i started taking like a lot of i i got into this class called light and interactivity by tom michael uh, it wasn't my like first choice i got it because there was this other class i was supposed to <laughs> supposed to yeah <laughs> Yeah. Stop, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was like I just like walked into that class because uh the class I wanted how had filled up and I was like Tom please just take me and he was like fine. Uh so so I started playing around with light and uh, he kind of says that if he can make people hate neo pixels in his class uh his job is done and probably like i was the biggest convert because there was this one class i remember when we turned off all the lights in the class and everyone brought a candle and we just observed the candle for like one hour it's probably my most fondest itp class ever and is this the, sorry can i interject it just for a second because i yeah. have seen some of the candle works the kennel projects done with led lights at yeah. itp and they're absolutely beautiful um, yeah. you know they have to kind of program leds to simulate the candle right um, but i also know that like tom in part of that course because i've i've actually looked through the syllabus yeah. scouring like some of the readings and stuff 
uh, and I love how he, he you know forces people to kind of observe light around them and also yeah. to learn the vocabulary of light to yeah. study all the different words we have for describing different kinds of light did yeah. you find yourself sort of expanding your ability to express yourself on light through this course yeah. as well yes I think that's one of my also goals this time is to like figure out like during my residency how to expand the vocabulary of light because I've like it's only during that class and the observations that there were these two things that kind of hit me very closely is the fact that New York's lights are great but they're unchanging and what I find most fascinating about light is how light has character it's like literally the combination of LEDs and the combination of a diffuser and now the added combination of programming these lights can get you that kind of subtlety that you see in like natural light. Uh, it wasn't possible before. It's also like we are standing on this cusp of, of technology giving us like these programmable LEDs for like dirt cheap now. Like this wasn't possible 10 years ago or even five years ago. So. So light has been an unchanging material because Thomas Ed Edison invented the bulb and a bulb works in a certain mechanical way. And we can never we could never program it for subtlety. That's why light was light. We could all we do was on and off and dim. So that's what we were playing with. And now we are playing with a certain kind of temporal qualities of light or even temporal qualities of, you know, diffusers that give us much more control over light which brings in this notion of can we introduce subtlety to it so i i i see that the field is like it's it's only now that this was possible like i my project would have not been even possible say 4 years ago because leds were just not that cheap so yeah so I understand that we're in this like ever-changing moment and it's all yeah. happening super fast about our abilities to, you know, create all these like very nuances of light. It puts us yeah. in this, the programmer in this, or the designer in this very new and kind of powerful position. I wonder, you showed me some pretty amazing stuff as we sat down because we were working with kind of light bars for yeah. one of our projects at ITP. Yeah. Um, and you kind of blew my mind with this Thomas Wilfred um, yeah installation so I, I wonder like was he one of your main influences and, and who else like who else really inspired you besides you know the light of god <laughs> i think apart from uh i kind of i changed my stance after thomas watching like thomas wilfred's work because his work had that ethereal subtle quality that drew me in but in fact I wasn't really looking at a lot of light artists because I really didn't like a lot of artwork. Like, I don't like LED, like, general LED light art. I mean, I still look at it because they have some interesting technical things that I am kind of interested in. Uh, but I was most inspired by, like, architects because uh, architects have played with light in a way that, most other people haven't thought of like uh, I remember I don't remember who the architect was but it was someone famous probably Frank Lloyd Wright but there's this one uh, museum again I forget the details of it but it's next to the Hudson River and uh, what the architect has done is like created like these narrow slits on the wall uh, which like where you can look into the river and basically through these slits when the light like when the light hits the water you can just see like a golden shimmer uh so that's when that's what attract like those are the people i was more inspired by than actually actual light artists and one other source that i was personally inspired by was the incas because this is something I didn't realize that Incas didn't really worship gold because it was money. They worshiped gold because what what it did to light. Because uh, and the Spanish could just never wrap their heads around that, that gold. Like, uh, but for me that was interesting that the Incas kind of chose gold not because of its monetary value because they didn't really have a monetary system. They were a barter economy, but they chose gold because 
of what it could do to light and how it could like enhance light as a as a material and uh yeah but but also through my practice what i also try to do is like i always now these days i just like uh say that lighting and led is the hardest part because led is so easy to light we have so many you know people just like like look at any electronic equipment like they just they just like do such shitty things with how they diffuse light how they think of brightness so a uh, lot of my thing has just been influenced be like oh okay now i know that lighting and led takes me 10 lines of code how do you diffuse it how do you think of creating like something that's already exists with candle or like paper lamps or like what no i was I would, yeah. i would swear that i don't sleep the same the same number of hours or the same depth of sleep if there's any kind of led on in the room exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, have to, i have to completely remove them I'm just haunted yeah. by this like beaming light <laughs> exactly so uh, a lot so, of time, sorry no no go ahead finish your thoughts yeah so a lot of th- like what i am interested in is basically like how can uh, like tom's i mean i keep telling tom that that candle assignment is still my nightmare assignment because i can probably get through life and never get it right uh uh because yeah you just can't ever get a candle right but there's such a beautiful quality about the analogness of a fireplace or a candle that is worthy of being like serving as an inspiration and figuring out how to reach that ideal through your code and being okay that you never reach there and uh but it's just not about the leds anymore it's essentially about the programming of it and the diffusion of it that's probably the uncharted territory yeah i'm sure you've seen some of the installations of robert irwin um yeah. he does a lot of diffuse light uh, there's a great um installation out in marfa that is mm-hmm. dark to light or light to dark or one or the other and yeah. i've referred, referred to that many times in the podcast because it's a really profound experience it's so simple and yet like you enter the dark and everybody is completely quiet right. and you get to light side and all of a sudden everyone starts talking and yeah. if you reverse the pattern i i asked the people that were running it they said no sometimes we reverse it and they enter the light first and they're like the exact opposite happens everyone's super loud for the first part and then they yeah. get super quiet as they enter the dark part um another space the the Rothko Chapel in Houston I'm from Galveston so that's like another um yeah. something you know in our experience there like it's designed so that no matter what time of day you enter you have a completely different experience mm-hmm. so that the paints on the wall the colors change the way the light enters changes as well right. um and i'm sure if you go back like into kind of sacred geometries and architectures um yeah. that there's probably i would imagine there's much more mindfulness of of this kind of light thing you know some of the stained glass work in old churches yeah. for example yeah. like this is a pretty amazing way to diffuse light and even temples But, in india and like the uh, the temple complexes in vietnam and laos they have full intentionality with light in mind about how those spaces have been designed like i know like in india there's a temple in puri which is like one of the oldest temples we have and with sunrise like the beam of light the first beam of light hits the goddess's legs like feet oh. touches the goddess's feet at like so yeah i mean wow. also like the sun doesn't change there as much as it changes here like uh, so they knew that and they factored in that into the design of the temple so yeah what about like uh, i mean i'm sure you have noticed this in new york because this idea of collective light ritual that seems to be becoming a more current thing you know people will yeah. go to special places watch the sunset that's always been kind of thing but it seems to be growing yeah. in popularity in new york they have this um what is this this when this when the sun cuts directly through the city there's like a day yeah. where everybody goes out to celebrate it yeah um, that was kind of interesting as well Uh, so these maybe are more pop forms of light celebration but yeah. it is happening yeah we love light we we respond to light i i i kind of talk about it in the same way that it's like how food we just instinctively respond to food we instinctively respond to light and the same problem of fast food like i call this fast light that we probably have too much light and we should just 
reduce the brightness and reduce its like how much we consume it and we'll be we'll still be able to like think of it as this beautiful thing again so and yeah that's why they're called fast leds <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah. your your creation of a circadian i think it i'm not sure what you call it but it seems to be a circadian yeah. lamp reminded yeah. me of a certain quote i had read about the myth of icarus and it read I've never seen the Icarus story as a lesson about the limitation of humans. I see it as a lesson about the limitation of wax as an adhesive. You've not only rejected the 24-hour clock, you've seemed to have kind of rejected the sun and made it your own. So how does it feel to be a god? <laughs> no, what I mean is, um, how does it feel to kind of like create it yourself and like, you know, bring that into your home as opposed to being at the mercy of sunrise, sunset. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting you'd ask that because, like, I've been thinking about it a lot because there's, like, I've been living without my lamp now because I moved to, into a new place for, like, two weeks now and I'd gotten really used to it and I was, like, I've also created this kind of dependence on me. So, like, I think a lot of, what gods do when they make is also they get addicted to what they make and basically that's for me a big problem that i kind of am like so attached <laughs> to this now <laughs> that i can't sleep without it and i'm like is that good bad i don't know but that <laughs> yeah maybe it's time to make a second one yeah <laughs> and you can alternate um, so, so what does it do? I mean, can you explain kind of the process? Like, how, how does it, um, okay. how did you design it? I mean, I kind of gathered from the project, but because I wasn't there for all the steps, but I, yeah. I kind of got from the project that you did some experiments, uh, testing out time in different ways, mm -hmm. uh, even sending yourself coded messages throughout different times of the day that were at intervals. I think I get this right. They were okay. at different intervals. And then you had to kind of think, how long has it been since the last message I got so that you yeah. kind of trying to become more mindful of how you mark time. But right. what, about the, what about the light itself? Like, how, how, what was the basis of that? Um, so, uh, I mean, last year, again, for light and interactivity, my final thing was, uh, I was I was introduced by Tom to something called as, uh, I forget the name of these LEDs, but essentially these LEDs can change between, uh, they can change color. And by what I mean is not color like a Philips hue bulb which changes hue, shade, and saturation. This can alternate between a, two different color temperatures. So I could get a range from 2000 uh, Kelvin to 6500 Kelvin, which was pretty much like, I mean, yes, pure sunlight is about 10,000. I mean, if, if not more, but I could at least reach that whiteness uh, with those LEDs. Uh, so that gave me an idea. I was like, hey, can I just recreate the sun? So the first clock I made was uh, essentially it was a network clock. Like it was run with an Arduino, which connected over the Wi-Fi and fetched the sunrise and the sunset time. And then basically created a cycle of increasing brightness uh, and changing the color temperature through the day, basically following the sun. So early in the morning, it would be yellower during the day around noon, it would be whiter. And then again, fade during the evening to like night. Uh, and that was built as a, as a piece for finals. But then I had it in my room for two days and I was like, Hey, this doesn't feel as bad. You know, like I was leaving, like I was living in a, in a, in an apartment which really didn't have a lot of natural light. So just living with that lamp and like for two days made me was like, hey, there's something interesting here. So that's how I started making the lamp. Uh, and in the meantime, I was just like writing my article for time, uh, for my time piece. I was thinking of my pieces and I hadn't really connected the two at that, at that, but I was just mostly experimenting with like, how like what duration if a light changes over a certain duration at what duration do i notice versus i don't notice so i realized that if a light changed over a period of say 10 minutes or lesser i would notice it but say around 
between 10 to 20 based on what I was doing, I would kind of uh, not notice it or notice it. But anything above 20, I would not notice it. So, mm. so that gave me, I was like, yeah, like I was getting a sense like based on like these kind of parameters. So when I was designing my final clock, what I did was I was like, I wanted to use the metaphor of the sun. I was like, yeah, but the lamb doesn't follow the sun. The lamb follows my rituals. So I was like, hey, what are my rituals? So like, I usually wake up or like aspirationally want to wake up at 7.30 in the morning. I want to start work at 11. Then I usually cook lunch and have a nap or something around 1, 1.30. And then I have like this like work session, intense work session from like 4 in the evening to like 6 or 7 or 8 at night and then like I just like to kind of uh, not work and then like read or just like chill. So I had like like these temporal rhythms in my head. So then I was like, hey, okay, then what kind of a color temperature would be ideal at that point of the day, at that point of the time? And what kind of a transition? Like does the transition need to be instant, like a five minute transition or does it the transition need to be like a slow moving one that I don't even notice. So then for some things like lunch, like I would often miss lunch. So I was like, yeah, no, at that point, the lamp has to change as dramatically as possible. Or even like uh, like it's switching off so that I kind of go off to sleep at night. Those have to be more dramatic than the others. So I kind of created like a combination of color brightness, uh, sorry, uh, color temperature, the brightness of the lamp and uh, the change in the like the change between the two states based on these kind of temporal rhythms so that was my lamp but then when i was starting living my at home i like my room was full of like smart lights i have philips hues like four of them in my room so then the <laughs> lamp, lamp also started controlling those lights so then like my room became like this uh, change which was ebbing and flowing and then my roommate who was uh, also an ITPO was doing his thesis at that time was also living with it so he had two lamp lamps in his room two bulbs in his room and he was like hey like I I think I like this so like can I use it on my my light too so by the end of it there was like one lamp that I'd constructed which was controlling about six five or six new bulbs Interesting. So now it's become, uh, you know, they say like when people uh, share space together, their patterns start to sync. Uh, different, there's like different biometric yeah. data that starts to sync as well. Yeah. So the, the light is starting to spread through the apartment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That happens. Like, yeah. yeah. So any ideas for, I mean, I can see this like, I don't know. I mean, I can see this actually becoming a thing that people want in their homes or in their businesses to kind yeah. of like help them mark time. Have you thought about like where it might go from here? Or, or um, are, you, are you moving on to another project? Um, so the thing is like, there is something like a lot of these companies like RGA, for example, which is like this big uh, advertising company, they have uh, like circuitry lighting is a thing in the sense like architecture, it's been a thing, but for me, but I mean, what I don't like about how they do it is because like, I mean, they're they are really not thinking the details through about the transition or about the change. And like, they are mostly thinking of it from a productive perspective that, hey, like employees are product best productive in this kind of a light. So like during the day, that's what we are going to bombard them with versus thinking of, hey, like after lunch, everyone slows down a bit. So like, can we like oh. forego a bit of productivity to bring in a sense of calm and relaxation? I, I hope to do that on the ITP flow. Like I've been trying to like get into the ITP. Like ITP has like, because it's a new flow, like all the lights are LED, all the lights are like tunable, tunable whites. Those are, that's what those LEDs are called. They all have tunable whites. So technically it can be like, there can be a rhythm to it, but again, building rules and COVID, I don't know if how, like if, but, like I would like to use the ITP floor as a test bed for sure. And fingers crossed I'm able to do that before the end of the year. Very cool. Um, yeah. And you know, like 
what the Philips Hue bulb has done for just the average consumer, you know, just to be able to kind of program your own lighting environments. I have a few in the house and it's, yeah. it's pretty fun. Yeah. You know, just dim everything to the right levels and stuff. I don't have the ones that do the colors. That sounds like it would be even, even wilder. And yeah. then I've, I've seen that Tom and others have, you know, will wire that into their sound systems and get all different kind of responses from music. And I don't mean to, yeah make light those sort of the um it's often kind of the slave to the sound Do you know what yeah. I mean? like like light effects often are programmed into beats and stuff but yeah. is there is there a sound component of your project are you listening to brian eno atmospheric music um is, is there something that goes along with this this slowness uh funny you would say that because i just we just finished a project uh last month uh, uh so some like in itp what we have is something called as the weather band which is basically taking like local weather data from a weather station that we've made and figuring out creative uses of that so uh so a lot of people use like temporal data of weather across you know uh, days or months to create like sound sound out of it I kind of was experimenting with like uh, that to like figure out like more temporal nature of light to it. But sound for me has always been interesting. It's because I still don't know. Like the problem with sound is like sound, like even as, as we speak, what we've been recording, it's it's like the graph is like the peaks, highs and lows, right? It's like the analysis is still frequency mapping like uh, which creates a bit of a problem about like in creating slow moving pieces with sound and I don't know mm -hmm. much about sound but like there are other people I'm talking about is like how can we analyze sound in a different way to create a sense of slow moving light art with sound as an input instead of the blinky you know frequency matching because all it gives me are like highs and lows and all I can do is just match, match to that so it requires yeah. a certain sense of reimagination of how sound sound is processed technically, so that light can be driven in an interesting way. Yeah, no, I feel like a lot of the kind of Arduino-based work is it, it really is in the hands of the designer and their the artfulness of how they can program things. Because yeah. you know, just working with sort of sonic sensors for one project, it was impossible. I mean, I could get the readings and stuff, but they're just jumping all over the place. And then so to to have those connected to lights was really yeah. complex and I had to have, yeah. you know, a more professional programmer come in and show me that you can take the highs and you can ride those levels and you can create these kind of means and averages mm -hmm. that would make a much slower thing. So as you approach it, you know, it has like a nice kind of fading effect to it and stuff. That's a very simple, a simple thing, but I think communicates that idea. But in the sound thing also, I, I think someone there is working on kind of pulling out different metrics of the sound. So you can like, measure different kind of timbers and you know different different parts of the sound because yeah. you're right like like it, it's kind of lame that all we're really dealing with is volume and different highs and lows you know high frequencies low frequencies and stuff right. mm. and i think uh you sh i mean i link you to the weather project because that was one of the most interesting things about the weather band was because how do you like how we kind of or at least how the performers took like very, you know, like even weather data, weather data just jumps all over all the time uh, and how they kind of smoothened it, averaged it, and then, you know, process it to create a sense of a very atmospheric sound that I have probably not like witnessed uh, in sound projects. And most of the, and we played it at a festival called as the Networked Music Festival, which sounds like an oxymoron, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it was, it was interesting to play in front of people like uh, we, we couldn't uh, where I mean like we had to jam with in COVID with like these instruments that people had made over laggy internet and still try to create a sense of rhythm and sound out of it and slowing it down intentionally was was an interesting experience I think like people who actually like you know anchored that could probably like flesh it out much better than I am kind of 
saying, but that's another interesting project and probably you should talk to the ones who did it to like... I, I would love to because most of the sound projects, and I know I know that ITP prides itself on the NIME class yeah. and even, you know, reading interviews and talking to I, um, to Tom Igo yeah. and, and, Dan, and Dan O'Sullivan, uh, you know, that, that was a really interesting to hear them talk about the origins of ITP and how it has this whole kind of narrative base to it, Redburns and the Sony pack. But then it hits another phase where they kind of had to decide, do they want to be another robotics school and just teach, you know, kind of the art of robotics or do we want to do something truly creative with this? And they said, well, we could have, we could have made robots or we could leave our students open to make musical instruments. And so the music part was a big, a big reason of why ITP, I think, has developed the way that it has. Um, yeah. And then the other part is that you, I'm sure you've heard many musical instruments come out of ITP, and most of them are just horrid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, no, but, but like they're they're really hard to listen to because they're just yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. I think uh, like I think ITP is like at its core, there's always been 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 a tension between freewheeling experiment experimentation and intentionality and subtlety, and. Uh, I think ITP leaves it open because yeah, hunt, hunt, it believes in that 10,000, let 10,000 flowers bloom policy, which I think works to its advantage because it's what, 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 what is the 10,000 flowers bloom from policy? <laughs> because like, in the sense like, you know, like let, let 110 people do 110 different things and we'll find a ah, way for yes. them to like, just let them do that. Uh, so, so people who are more interested in subtlety uh, are basically like investigating subtlety. So for example, uh, I think you've met Nan from my year, Nantini. Uh, yeah. uh, her thesis was exactly about what is pattern and what is noise. And it was just focusing on details. Whereas uh, there were these kind of other projects which were like, you know, like noisy. So I think for ITP that's worked out to its advantage that, you know, people do what they want. But, uh, but a lot of faculty, I think, have that in mind with their classes where uh, they are bringing you into this this space where they are creating that avenue for you to think about these small details and think about these intentional behavior and programming which kind of then creates a lot of like a few people who are inter- inter- interested in that minutia and yeah probably not everyone is interested in minutia and that's okay but like the people who are interested find those classes and then Grow, grow a more nuanced sense of the instruments that they make. So. Well, living back to this weather um, music project, yeah. what 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 readings are they taking for the weather? Is that like barometric pressure and humidity all, and? Yeah, all kinds. I think the weather station at the last time I checked, it was giving like about six or seven different values from like wind direction to like uh, illumination to like rainfall to like. Uh, barometric also or atmospheric pressure i think uh, wow so so yeah i mean it, it was a self-contained station which gave multiple data sets and then people figured out what to do with that data so everyone oh. in that band played with like different kinds of data so a while back um, a way while back like 15 years ago uh, I did a motorcycle trip around South America and I stopped in a small town in Brazil and I stopped for a while. I spent a good, I think four or six weeks there. Um, and I spent a lot of my time with one family and I was amazed at how television had dictated how time passed for three generations. Yeah. The old folk had grown up with no television and they had never considered themselves poor and they had not traveled further than the surrounding towns. If they had even gone that far. Then Brazilian national TV came in and the, sec- the next generation had seen images from all over Brazil and then they were adventure- adventurers and they traveled to these destinations and worked at them and kind of like explored all the frontiers. And they took great pride in showing all their photos of these kind of far off hunting grounds, so to speak. Then the young generation, they hated their town. They felt poor compared to the kids that they studied so carefully on the telenovelas. And all they wanted was the big city, access to all the products. Your project, and probably your experience of watching India change as well, because just within your lifetime, I imagine India has gone through some pretty wild transformation, demographically modernizing. 
um, your project of a shared sense of time by our, the schedule of our TV shows. Um, this really hit home to me of how our very identity is formed by this kind of time arrangement of television. Yeah. Um, I mean, not just by what we're watching on it and what it's showing us and what it makes us dream about, but you know how it organizes us all to come together and have this communal experience. And it makes me look at this new generation around all of us now, not just in Brazil and India, but around the whole world. And I wonder what their communal sense of time passing will be. Or is there such a thing as communal time anymore or even communal identity? I mean, is that why all these TikTok kids are so ready to like copy each other, other's dance moves around the world and why things go so viral? Like, I, I wonder where all this is going from here. And it even made me wonder about your own project of finding kind of a sense of commune with yourself and time as well. Right. What are your thoughts on all of that? I think uh, time, like individualized uh, or digital networked media has destroyed tempo temporality of, like, of media because I don't think that exists anymore. And a lot of things about that project kind of stems from this unease that we are losing a shared sense of time because uh, we just don't have temporal markers anymore. Uh, the only thing that I've come probably close to it is probably memes, like some memes were famous in some years over the others. But due to the nature of media, the fact that it can't be destroyed, it doesn't, nothing on the internet gets destroyed and it finds its way back. Uh, we've lost that sense of communal time like i just like probably game of thrones in a, like was uh the last one or, like sports sports still like is probably the last standing sense of shared time and elections but we've lost that we lost the shared sense of shared time which kind of was like for me my, my project was also that tribute to like only a certain generation will remember tv like time as TV programming and we are and it's going to just get lost as as like the future progresses and it scares me it worries me but I don't know I mean I still don't know how to like really think of it and it's 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 a direction that I am personally more interested in now is like how we like to like analyze this temporality more and uh, figure that out that you know i guess hearing that from someone from india and I, i'm only speaking from the outside i have yeah. no personal experience to speak from but i would yeah. i would imagine just from my experience in south america where i believe there are some very like bastions here of temporality that will be very hard they will be very hard to destroy and i'm speaking particularly like on the caribbean coast like there's ritual on the caribbean coast of mm. of carnival and um even digital media has a hard time competing with all of the interactivity of the people around them, so to speak. Like it's almost like it's a reverse that the digital media just becomes an extension of all of this social interaction and ritual happening. So I wonder if there's something like that in India, as people have explained to me that like the culture there has, has such a cohesion that, you know, will, all this digital media be that disruptive there or it will be kind of the reverse where it just gets appropriated in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think for like in India, it's hard because we have festivals until we have like when I came to America and I was like, yeah, like holidays here are optimized on Mondays and Fridays. Like, you know, like it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But in India, we still have like, uh, like festivals arranged at like, at like, the appropriate temporal markers, which kind of still creates that sense of time, uh, like of a shared time. And I think those cultures are much more resilient to like uh, the sense of fracturing because like rituals, until the generations believe, like, believe in rituals or like uh, we'll have that. But I think we, we just have to figure out, like we'll have to grow new sense of rituals around time. And that's, that's what kind of also fascinates me is like we are now in this kind of temporal space that the pressure of the now is so much that we just have no ability to think 
for more than a week or like beyond three days. We just need different now different rituals of time to like kind of replenish the old ones that we had, uh, and they all uh, already exist because of a reason. Like, so, well, you're living in probably one of the cities where, uh, how to say this in a nice way, like time for me in New York City moves in a really weird way like really fast and yeah. and you know my impression of just hanging out with people there and spending some months there each summer is that uh, the way people mark time in new york is completely different from say about in kia or or someone somewhere you know in latin america that there, there's a yeah. real sense of difference there and then of yeah. course if you go to you know urban rural differences here there's even more difference or even if you yeah. move from about in kia which is caribbean and very okay. kind of polychronic and then you move to a Bogota which is a lot more monochronic it's not quite a Germany and not quite a United right. States but, it, yeah. but it's still like on a much more linear um, time system um, whereas like you have some major extremes in your life that you're dealing with because like New York is racing in time or maybe not so much now in during the COVID times but yeah. that was my impression while I was there um, do you long for going back to a more kind of slower rhythm of time or do you think that you will find that and create it through things like light projects there yeah i think for my with my thesis what i what i realized was like i could create that construct of slowness because i put that intentionality into my light art like my light project i, I think if we construct the right rituals for and the right temporal rhythms for ourselves, we can still manage to do, do that. I think uh, it's, it's like during my thesis, the first time I feel like I'm in a bit of my power to control my sense of time in New York that would have not existed like previously. It also makes, it also comes with making a kind of like life choices, like being intentional about not going on social media or like, you know, like not, I mean, like, exposing myself to other people's sense of time because like uh, that also speeds things up so so by a careful construction of life habits and things in your space you can reclaim a lot of it back that that i completely believe in hmm. so for young people who i work with just entering the world of physical computing uh, what would be like a very basic way that you would recommend they experiment with this controlling an led in a in a more mindful way or light in a more mindful way i think like i think led is one of the easiest ways to like get into like programming because the feedback is so awesome what i would ex ask people to experiment with is like diffusion like uh, tom had like one one basic thing in the class saying that if your light is not diffused or it doesn't have anything on top of it you fail that class and i kind of believe like i've kind of agree with that that uh, just playing around with diffusion changes the nature of perception of perceived light and that that is one beautiful thing that you could experiment with and the mm -hmm. other thing is experimenting with dimming patterns like what does it mean for light to dim over 10 minutes versus light to dim over a day. And also, if people are more interested uh, or want to get deeper, uh, how light is perceived versus how light is kind of programmed are two different things. That's something also I learned while working with light, that you could program light to change linearly, like from zero to 100, it just goes linearly. but our eyes perceive it in an exponential manner. So like uh, you would feel that it has gone from zero to hundred much faster than it would have actually gone in your code. So playing mindfully with like the, the dipping curve or, and that's another great way to get into maths because how can you use quadratic equation? How can you use like linear equations to like dimmer light is a very interesting way to just learn about applications of these graphs that I had never known until I kind of started, <laughs> started using them with like, in fact, like on Tom's website, there is a great tutorial on dimming curves and how that 
changes how life is perceived. So that's another thing that should people should be just more mindful about. And Tom comes from a theater lighting background, which yeah. makes to- total sense of all this kind of mindfulness. Um, I guess I'll go back to that question I kind of asked before is where would you point people beyond your own work to kind of see very cool ideas of, of mindful lighting design? I think uh, the light and interactivity website is probably the best resource I've seen till now because uh, uh, there are a lot new student projects which have been added. Uh, it has like a big glossary of famous light artists. It has a glossary of light terms. It has program the code. So that's a, that's probably one. Like if you know nothing about light, you want to kind of figure things out. It's a great place to start looking because it'll at least get you up and started to like know about at least the famous people of off light. Uh, like I still remember like when I came to ITP, like uh, someone asked me like, like people just kept mentioning Terrell, Terrell, Terrell. And like, after like a point, I was like, I just like asked the neighbor, I was like, Hey, who's this Terrell? And he was just shouty like, you don't know Terrell. But so like, yeah, like that website helps you kind of know your glossary and what you're talking about quite well. Uh-huh. And what about your own work? Where can people find uh, examples of, of what you've designed, uh, uh, your, so, your, your thesis project? Yeah, I think my thesis video is a great place to at least uh, know that. I'm in the process of revamping my website to just like put in all that work that I've done in ITP over the last two years. And now that I'm ready to show people or like I'm comfortable enough in like showing people but a big part of my residency plan is to just get that organized so that people have like a buy-in into my work because for the first time in my life I'm feeling confident about my work to stand on its own on a website without me explaining it. Very cool. Hey, well, thank you for taking the time to walk us through that. This is a a really, I found it a very profound experience that you have gone through. And now that we're all living sort of a part of it, it seemed to make even more of an impact. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I (laughs) I haven't spoken about my thesis for so long. No, I, I, I I think interviewing ITP people in the months right after their thesis is ideal because They've been working on this for two years, stewing it, yeah. and now, and then going to the sprint of finishing it. So it's been yeah. kind of a cool thing. I, I love that you're doing the extended, uh, you know, that you got the extended year as well. I think that's a, yeah. that's a pretty dreamy uh, land as well. So I'll stop uh, recording here if you'll stay online just for yeah. a couple of minutes afterwards. Okay.